divorced, beheaded, died, divorced, beheaded, survived. And tonight, we Welcome to Media Evil, a medieval pop culture podcast, where we talk about how medieval and medieval-inspired movies, TV, and books depict the medieval world. What do they get right? What do they get wrong? And what do they tell us about how modern people see the medieval past? I'm Sarah F. Decker, a medieval historian, and today I'll be venturing into the early modern period with a discussion of the musical Six with two returning guests, Tracy Tanoff and Megan Griffin. Hello. Hello. Would you like to both tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and why you wanted to come on to talk about this particular musical? I'm a big Broadway fan. I sort of, you know, I I live on Long Island, so I'm able to get into it, you know, fairly often. I started hearing about this one, I think, sort of like twofold. A lot of Broadway and like West End fandoms are sort of like interlinked. So like if you're in one, like you're in many others. It's kind of funny because you'll be in like Facebook fan groups and it's like, oh, the same like seven people that I interact with across like five other groups are all here. <laughs> and so I, I forget if it was, it was probably like the Hades Town group or something because it's like a really active fandom where people like really started talking about six. But I also have friends in the, the period drama fandom in general that were sort of like obviously starting to follow it on the West End and then when it came to Chicago. So I joined the, the fan group for it and it was like I think when they were starting up in Chicago and then they they also have like cruise line productions of this show and like so it was really starting to like blow up internationally so I sort of like crested that wave like right before it was like gonna hit Broadway we didn't even know if it was going to transfer to Broadway so it was it was mostly just hearing a lot about it from like it's they really have, like, the social media support of a lot of, like, really active, like, teenagers and 20-somethings. And if you mm-hmm. can hit that wave, like, that can... It doesn't always translate to, like, financial success because it's young people that, like, don't have a lot of money. But it can be, like, really beneficial. And right. I think that they manage to, like, strike that good balance. So that was how I started hearing about it. I think part of the reason I first shared it in the group was that they were coming to, like, Ireland on tour. So I knew that, like, maybe Ollie would get to see it or, like, the people that were in the UK would be able to see it. And then it started coming to Chicago, Mm -hmm. so, like, people like Dawn could go see it. So I'm glad that it's started to become, you know, more accessible even with everything that's going on in the world right now that, you know, hopefully everyone will be able to see it and really enjoy it. I'm glad that it's really reaching, like, the level of success that it has and that we can, you know, talk about it and sort of spread the word a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. As for me, I actually know I my friend Alex told me about it when he was starting to plan his trip up to New York. He comes up every March. And I remember 
the first time I heard about it, I was kind of insulted by the idea. It was just kind of like, <laughs> at this point, I was like, Can't, I love I love researching. I mean, like, I watch the tutors. I've read a ton of books. It's, like, my favorite. I mean, I think it's everybody's favorite. Weird man and six wives. <laughs> but I just was like, can you just let them rest in peace? Like, are we really going to make money off of these four women again? <laughs> and then the song, one of the songs popped up on my Spotify. And, like, Alex tried multiple times explaining it to me. And I was like, I just, I don't know... Um, and then I finally heard one of the songs and was like, okay, this is more giving them a voice than it is mm-hmm. yeah. trying to make money again off the story of a man and his six wives. And f- the music reminded me of my childhood and I that <laughs> I was sold from that point. I mean, it is, if you were a Spice Girls fan, it is exactly what adults you should be listening yeah. to. So, <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> I know that they say that the... <laughs> The Anne Boleyn song in particular was inspired by, like, Avril Lavigne. Yes. Like, there's a... I should find it. There's, like, a breakdown of, like, what, like, pop group and thing inspired, like, each song. And, like, the Anne Boleyn yeah. being Avril Lavigne. Like, yeah. that was, like, when I was 12 or 13. So it's, like, <laughs> as soon as I heard it, I'm, like, fine, I can be into this. But I yeah. feel like it's one of those things where, like, when you hear about it, you're either, like, really into it or, like you said, you're, like, insulted by it. Because <laughs> when I mentioned it to my best friend, I was, like, yeah, it's, like, a pop musical based on Henry the VIII's wife and she's like I have to hear this she's like she heard like one sentence and she's like it sounds amazing (laughs) I was also just to basically like I have to listen to this and uh, I was initially hoping to actually go see it in Chicago which is closer to where I am and then just didn't get around to it because of travel plans that I had that summer while it was going on and then ended up uh, like making plans to go see it with my parents and uh, they got tickets and as it happened the weekend that they happened to get tickets for out of the like four weekends that we were considering the one that we got it for was March 8th and that's the only one that we would have actually like were able to see it if we planned to go any of the other dates that we had as options it would not have happened but yeah but I was definitely just immediately (laughs) like yes this is my thing. (laughs) Yeah I I actually ended up seeing it I put in for the lottery and saw it March 1st and hopefully it does reopen because everybody should go see it. It is just a blast. Yeah. With your sh- like every single day. But now it's time to sh- and listen when I say a couple of notes about the musical. It's written by Toby Marlowe and Lucy Moss. It first premiered at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival in 2017. And as we've kind of referenced, it started in Broadway on previews on February 13th, 2020, and was scheduled to actually open on March 12th and then didn't. 
I was not actually going to say a lot about the cast because I don't actually know that much about like theater musical actors. And so they're not people that I'm otherwise super familiar with. But I do just want to note that as I was randomly Googling, I came across the fact that Genesis Linnea, who plays Anne of Cleves on the studio recording, and Amy Atkinson, who is Catherine Howard on the studio recording, are in a relationship now. And that is just an absolute goddamn delight. And I love it. Yes. Yeah. I should also mention that Toby Marlowe is non-binary. I don't know mm-hmm. how often that like comes up in press that you may have seen. So I just, um, I think they go by they, them. So that's like a minor important Good note. Yeah. But yeah, with the, the Queens being in a relationship, I think they went to like London Pride or something together and people were like oh, freaking nice. out. Like everybody was so happy. <laughs> it's just so delightful. I noticed also when reading the program that within the context of the musical, like, it, you know, I mean, you're sort of like presuming that these are like cishet women because, you know, it's the 16th century and they were all like women who were married to a man. But that the program really emphasizes yeah. that like it wanted the musical to feel like it's a space that is like for that is both racially diverse but also a space that's like diverse and like welcomes like queer and trans and non-binary people so I think that's really great yeah I was thinking earlier that it sort of reminds me of that um there's this meme that circulates around Christmas time of um somebody that did like a revisionist gingerbread house where it's like the wives like all like lure Henry VIII and they like murder him by candlelight and like that's sort of what this like show reminds me of like the spirit of that meme like and and so like the two of them being in a relationship like sort of reinforces that energy it's like yes (laughs) I think most of the cast at least what the what I saw it was their first time on Broadway this was like this Mm -hmm. is their first show yeah which i think is really cool a lot of them came from chicago and i don't yeah yeah, i think most of them hadn't made Mm -hmm. like their broadway debuts before yeah and that definitely is one of the things that sucks about the opening is that like they didn't really have that opportunity yeah yeah i hope they do i mean i hope so too the set is really simple so i just i I, it feels like one that they can keep and not i don't know i just hope it stays yeah (laughs) Yeah. 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 I've heard fairly positive things about like what the forecast is looking like for it staying because it, like I said, it was making like millions of dollars in profit, mm-hmm. which is sort of uncommon for a show this new. And I think um, yeah. they say that it has really good backers and it obviously has enough like international success to like have these productions on so many different platforms. So I've heard that the odds are good, but obviously everything could change. Right. And also related to what we were talking about before, I just want to say how also delightful it is that in the entire thing, there is never a single man or male identifying person on stage. Yeah, that's really, really, really great. The entire band was female and um, not everybody is like stick figure, muscular dancer. I Mm -hmm. mean, it's like all of them look like they, you know, are super fit, but it's a different kind of super fit if that makes sense like right some of them like look they're like not they all like weepy or anything yeah yeah i've definitely heard people feel like really happy that it's like a pretty like body positive cast and it's yeah. like also a really racially diverse cast yes. in that some yeah. of the international casts like haven't been as racially diverse and people aren't always like happy about that because 
they really do want it to be a space for like performers of color and you know like we were saying like queer and trans and non-binary performers to really be like accepted so the fandom actually is like really positive about diversity in that way like they want diverse casting mm-hmm. they want it not to be this cast of like six white women like we're expecting. Yeah, yeah. like it's really like important to the fandom that that be considered and I think that's really great I think the fandom being so like young skewing is a really big factor in that too and obviously like the Hamilton mm-hmm. influence of like the race bent like gender bent sort of casting yeah so there's also um a production of 1776 they just announced that they're going to have all female and queer and trans and like non-binary performers next year and that's like a and like performers of color so that's like a really important like trend that's kicking off right now no i appreciate that it's fantastic yeah i am and it's gonna it's gonna make people so mad and it's like so great (laughs) (laughs) it's always fun slash horrifying to see people's reactions to everything yeah I'm going to give Jindy for the enumeratio section just like a very brief recap of the premise and then I figure we'll just have kind of like general discussion about the musical. So the six wives of Henry VIII decide to hold a competition to determine who will be the leader of their pop group based on whoever had to put up with the most bullshit from Henry VIII. They each sing their piece and make their case, but Catherine Parr finally points out that they have been defined by Henry and their relationship to him for far too long. They call off the competition in the and in the final number, imagine their own alternative and happier lives. I just like I just love everything about this sound this soundtrack. Like I started listening to it shortly before I went to see it, and then basically mm-hmm. continued to do so nonstop, including I like listened to it on repeat on the four hour drive to Chicago from Bloomington that I took the weekend <laughs> before. <laughs> And then have, like, also been basically doing the same thing since. And I am pretty sure I have, like, memorized (laughs) it now. And also, uh, recently, my neighbor, like, made some comments on a Facebook post that, like, oh, I've been, like, we've been enjoying hearing your singing. And I'm like, oh, I guess you can hear that. (laughs) (laughs) Whoops. It's also, like, a relatively short recording, too. So I feel like on a four-hour drive, like, you probably listen to it, like, 40 times. Yeah. Like, yep. if not, like, much more. <laughs> so. But it's yep, so I mean, good. Yeah, it's so yeah. good. But yeah, I think it comes to, like, maybe, like, 45 or 50 minutes, something like that. So you listen to it, like, six times yeah. on a four-hour drive. <laughs> yeah, I think the whole show is only, like, an hour and 20-ish, which is pretty short for Broadway. Like, I think on the West End, they do, like, three shows because of it instead yeah. of, like, the typical, like, two-show day. The And, like, these, that's why um, they, another thing that they have that's a little different than the standard Broadway cast is that they have a lot of alternates. Like, th- I think just because, like, the show schedule is so demanding mm-hmm. that, like, they have a lot of, like, queens that can fill in for, like, multiple performers or that, like, step into the roles, you know, a little bit more frequently than, like, your average understudy. Right. Yeah, definitely. A lot of it is essentially that each wife gets to have her own song where she basically makes her case for why she should win. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I think overall it does a really good job at making all or pretty much all of them, like, seem very compelling. I'll be honest, I still don't kind of don't like Jane Seymour. (laughs) 
<laughs> that's like it's really funny that's like the song that like the fandom at large is kind of like air on and it's just like a pretty like widely held sentiment about jane seymour and i like feel sort of bad it's just like it's funny yeah. in that way that it's like so widespread throughout the fandom <laughs> i like the song and i think it is performed so well absolutely and it is i mean it is a it is a beautiful song about a woman who in my opinion, is taking a situation of being abused in some way and like mm-hmm. trying to show how powerful yeah. she is in that. Yeah. That being said, I also agree that it's like, and, and the show basically says that like at every point, mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, we get it. You died, but also like, fuck <laughs> you. You admitted. <laughs> right. You know. <laughs> one of my favorite lines is when she says the only one he really loved and they all are like rude. <laughs> That's like one of my favorite parts. <laughs> It's like every time she opens her mouth, I think Anne Boleyn turns around and was like, yeah, but at least you got to keep your head or something right. along those lines. Yeah, like especially when you have like there's all the banter that's in the show that's not on the soundtrack. It's just like very much this low-key like everybody hates Jane Seymour. Yes. And I think they intentionally make it so that she can't dance well because yeah. there's a comment within it about how she dances and... I mean, she's not the best dancer of the group, but also, like, I can't imagine that, like, this woman actually can't dance because, No, it had to be deliberate in terms of how they do her choreography. But, yeah, I just, like, I, like, cackled in the theater where there's this, like, bit at the end where there's, like, (laughs) they're being, like, all serious about, like, what this, like, the whole, like, thing that they've been doing tells us about, like, how people think about women. And then everyone's, like, and then Catherine Parr is, like, and we've all learned, and Anne Boleyn interjects, I think, that Jane can't dance. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> it's so true. Jane can't dance. It's fine. It's fine. I think it's also like it's so like tonally different from the rest of the show. I think I remember that the singer that she's inspired by is supposed to be like Adele. Adele. Yeah. So it's yeah, like yeah. it's really this like big like Adele style like power ballad when the rest of them are sort of like more like pop focused like dancey numbers. So like it would make sense that she can't like yeah. dance to the degree that the rest yeah. of them does. It's not that kind of song. But it's like right. my comparison that leaps to mind is like there's this, like, Celine Dion-style power ballad in the middle of The Greatest Showman, and it's, like, and it just, like, takes me out of the piece, like, every time, because, like, right. the rest of the numbers are so, like, pop-focused and dancey, and then there's, like, a Celine Dion opera singer, I'm like, no, this isn't working for me, <laughs> and it's, like, the same thing, it's, like, smack in the middle of six, it's, like, let's sing, like, Adele, and it's, like, not when the rest of it is, like, Avril Lavigne-inspired. Right. So. <laughs> I think it works, I don't know, I maybe it's just the fact that, like, how much I was already in love with the show, like, the moment it opened yeah. I was bawling and yeah. so Damn. I, I, emotions were already running and everything I mean like I loved it I loved there's not a minute of the show that I didn't love and yes Agreed. if you've listened to the soundtrack you do know all the songs like yeah some of them are kind of broken down a little different because there's banter in the middle or especially Catherine Parr's song there's a lot that goes on in the middle of that but yeah knowing the words you can just kind of it's I don't know it's a different experience for sure yeah yeah it really I think is. with the with Heart of Stone, too, it's, like, as someone who's lost a parent, it's, like, it doesn't, like, always, like, super get to me, but at the same time, like, when she really, like, mm-hmm. starts saying, like, you know, with her son, like, she'll never see him grow, I'm, like, okay, don't think too hard about this song or you'll start crying right. and, like, you won't stop. And it's, like, so it, like, yeah. as much as it does That's, sort yeah. of, like, drag the show down a little bit, like, it also is, like, a really powerful, like, emotional song in that way. Yeah, I I do actually, I think I actually like the song. I think it's a beautiful song. It just like, 
is the one that like it just hasn't quite like made me like Jane Seymour more. Yeah, no, Jane Seymour's just never been the wife <laughs> that I cared about. <laughs> That's what it really is for me is that it's like this is a beautiful song and like it really does the way in which it's like this like I don't know like it really expresses like the things that are sad about her life but on the other hand it's like but at least you got to keep your head though and also you're kind of <laughs> at part at fault for Anne like not keeping her head so like eh. yeah like if she had lived through childbirth the other three wives probably wouldn't have happened right yeah yeah the other thing by the way that changes is that uh, from the soundtrack to the production is that there's a couple of just like little things here and there where they adjust the lyrics to make more sense for an american audience yes oh okay with like the one that i noticed most being that uh in uh, in Catherine howard's song there's like um a bit where she says like just mates no chemistry and they have to like adjust it so it says friends instead of mates because like we don't use mates in that way in america yeah i remember that and i remember I mean, like, if you don't know <laughs> British idioms at this point, I mean, like, why? I, I just, of any group, Broadway people are, they're going to know what mate means at the least. Yeah. But right. I like, I found they, it jarring, but that was just, yeah. like, I've listened to the soundtrack for so many times. So, I like, I'm not sure I would have noticed if I hadn't. I think I heard that they don't use, like, British accents on, like, Broadway in Chicago. I no, think which they, I was fine yeah. with. Like, I don't want yeah. anybody faking a British accent if you can, you know. <laughs> I feel like singing and trying to put out an accent, like, I'm sure people have done yeah. it, but it must just be so hard. Yeah. So, yeah, so that, like, I... I don't know if you want to talk about, like, each wife in order, or, like, because we're talking about Catherine Parr, do you want to talk about Catherine Parr, or... Yeah, we don't have to go in order. I a lot to say about her song. Okay. Yeah, uh, we don't have to go in order. Everybody knows what the order is. <laughs> <laughs> that song is one of my favorite on... Like, oh, I mean, I love every song on the album. But actually seeing it in person, it kind of hit me as to how dark of a song like i knew it was dark because yeah. Catherine Parr, uh Catherine, oh, okay. howard, Catherine I'm howard i'm sorry Catherine howard yeah okay who was basically the definition of groomed from childhood yeah. and was killed for the reasons that she was groomed for and there was something about watching it on stage cuz the song on the album doesn't quite hit this note of like realizing yeah. And the mm-hmm. despair and like watching it was uh Samantha Polly when I went, she like just encaptured this despair of like, fuck, this is my life and this sucks yeah. so much. And I yeah. it was such a good take on it. I don't know, it just had a very different feel than the album. It was the one song that I was like, Okay, I knew the song from the album. This is a not ever how I felt listening to it. Like very uncomfortable in a in a good yeah. way. Mm-hmm. That was something that the fandom in the Facebook group that I'm in talked about a lot because a lot of people are like me in that they've only, you know, heard the album, especially before it came to Chicago and Broadway. And I know that someone was starting to, I think, like, sort of being defensive and saying, like, they felt that the song was, I guess, like, in their mind, it was sort of almost like victim blaming her. And they were saying that, like, it was painting it in too weird a way. And then someone said, like, no, when you see it, like the choreography in particular like highlights yes. like the moments where she realizes yeah, it really that does. it like definitely like wasn't consensual and like she's thinking back about it and it's like yeah. I think the moment that it really hits me on the album is like when she's going through like the repeated themes of like every man telling her the same thing and she's like oh like yeah. it's gonna be different it's gonna be different and she's like no I guess it's not like it's really sad 
but it's not sad in, like, an obvious yeah. way. I feel like you really have to, like, think about it, and then, like, it starts, like, becoming really upsetting, especially when you think about, like, how young she was. It's like, yeah. oh, okay. <laughs> so. Right. Yeah. And that was really something that I always found really powerful listening to the album, even that, like, especially that line where she says, you know, it's like, why did I think it would be different? It's never, ever different. Yeah. And uh, that, like, I think that that, like, as the song kind of makes that transition to her realizing how much her, all of her relationships have been abuse, essentially, is like, just, I think, I think it's incredibly powerful. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's it's kind of like being in the, the Facebook groups too is sometimes really terrible because like I said there's like younger teenagers there and there's some like sexual mm-hmm. innuendos in that song that like some of the younger listeners like didn't yes. quite grasp. Like there's yeah. the the C to D one. Like there was definitely yeah. like there was definitely like a yep. fourteen year old one day that was like asking about that. And we were like, nope, nope, like we don't have to talk about that. Nope, like you so, need to go ask like, your Right. So like he even let me use his favorite quill and and then the like, my wrist yeah. was so tired. It's like, okay. Yes. <laughs> yes. Every line of that song until it's the shift filthy. into like, fuck, this is my life. Is <laughs> such a good innuendo. It's, I mean, it like the first time I listened, yeah. I just remember laughing the whole time. I loved it. <laughs> and then you listen the second yeah. time, and you're like, oh. <laughs> like, this is actually really upsetting. Yeah. Never mind. And then you're like, how old was she yeah. when she died? Oh, she was 17. Oh. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah like that's definitely the song that for me I like I feel like has like the most like in some ways emotional range that like it really like goes from yeah. being this fun song to by the end being the song about like how actually horrific this all is and mm-hmm. yeah it yeah. just like really hit me and like in a big way when I was even first listening to it mm-hmm. I think especially because like her introduction is like so bouncy like when she comes in she says I think we can all agree I'm the 10 amongst these threes yes. and like she really like yes. puts herself forward in this really like self-confident like fun way and then when it really like crumbles towards the yeah. end like it's really upsetting yeah it's 17 yeah. yeah i don't think no, i really I mean, like knew that until you said so and now i'm like oh <laughs> yeah no what yeah. i really like about the program and and i ran and grabbed mine this is i don't actually keep programs but this is one of the few i did is that like they do tell you about each of the wives mm-hmm. and also like the inspiration for each song yeah and like what the cause of death was and how old they were and everything and I just, it's just really cool yeah like to really put it in there like she was fucking 17 it's yeah, yeah. i think especially like with the show reaching a younger audience like that it's like really important to do that and especially because one of the things i i really like that the show points out is um when they say uh you know we've been uh just one word in this stupid rhyme Mm -hmm. and like and it really made me think about how like they're right like i knew the rhyme but i really didn't know like the individual circumstances of really any of them besides uh aragon and boleyn who you know sort of Mm -hmm. have like the other boleyn girl and like you know the like witches i know like total trash but like you know that that sort of like that sort of like get focused on in like adaptations that like i saw when i was young and so like you know i knew about them but i didn't really know about like anything else beyond that yeah and when it like really made it sink in that like they're right we've reduced these women to like nothing and there's so much that we don't know 
know about them and it doesn't get taught, like, I feel like it's a good thing that, you know, they're really doing that and they're, you know, sort of taking on that responsibility for a younger audience. I know people feel like there's, some people feel that because, you know, it's just one song for a wife, like, it does kind of reduce them down to, like, one characteristic or, like, one significant point and some people feel like it doesn't really go into it enough I know that when they wrote the show I think that they said I think they said that they were like procrastinating on like some of their exams like for college <laughs> and I think that they said that they had re- they had read like one biography when they wrote it so like maybe not every detail is like super accurate but at the same time like they I don't think they were setting out to write like Hamilton like a really comprehensive like autobiographical show like right. they were just doing something fun so like I'm not going to hold it to the same standard and I think that a lot of people like after seeing it are going to like do their own research and know that like this yeah. isn't meant to be like super accurate historical yeah. show no I think that's what so. I really really like about it is the fact that like like you I mean everybody knows about Catherine of Aragon and, and yeah. uh, Anne Boleyn because it changed history so much but listening and figuring out how much I love Catherine Parr's song and then going and like looking up Catherine Parr and seeing like how fucking yeah. badass Catherine Parr is yeah. who's like it and and Anna of Cleves who basically yeah. uh, her whole part of the show was like you know what I don't need to be a part of this my life is great <laughs> it's really yeah I think it is like yeah. you said it's not meant to be something that we're looking at with like the you know tweezers or the, like looking under a lens of historical but it's yeah. like a jumping off point of like hey the rest of these women had something to contribute and it's really really cool that yeah. they're finally getting some kind of say yeah yeah and like they definitely do have to simplify to some extent but like i think for mm-hmm. the most part the way they do that works given the way the stru- like the way the structure and the narrative like is uh, created that like to some extent like you can't say everything uh, and you know I'll mention a little bit later some things like I kind of wish that they'd come up but like I understand yeah. that they didn't I think um especially because like the format of the show is like the wives trying to give their history in like a really condensed way like you can't argue with them too much for like condensing it down like right. they have to right. so like it's, yeah. it's built into the premise yeah and on Anne of Cleves also I have always actually I mean you know obviously I am particularly nerdy about this stuff given that this is my podcast (laughs) and also that I have a PhD in history um but I actually had a brief period in my life where I was writing a historical novel about Anne of Cleves that I did not finish because I was like she's the one that like nobody's written about so I'm gonna do it yeah (laughs) I would have entirely I think you should do this go for it (laughs) this is the time especially yeah I need to I need to do it finish yeah, no, I need to, like, actually, I actually would like to do this spirit. at some point. Yeah, and especially yeah. now that I feel like I have this, like, real, like, feeling of connection to Anne of Cleves that this musical really hit home for me that I did not have when I first started yeah. writing this historical novel and was, like, 18. But uh, now as a very <laughs> happily divorced person, this song is just, like, such a, like, anthem for how great it is to be divorced and, like, out of a not-great marriage. Yeah. Um <laughs> And that she's just like, I'm single and like, there's no man to tell me what to do. And it's amazing. And I just like, love her so much. It's so great. I love that she gets the costume chain. Yes. And I actually like, so they were selling as some of their merch at uh, tote bags that had each of the like 
last names such as they are of the wives and then like mm-hmm. a num- and then like their their number and they're in kind of like athletic jersey style and it was like mm-hmm. really like because this song especially worked for me was how I made the difficult decision in terms of like I was like I can only afford to buy one <laughs> and that's how I made the difficult decision to go with Anne of Cleves as opposed to Anne Boleyn yes. yeah I think this song too is one of my favorite ways that they sort of like made it relatable for a modern audience because like for me you know I can't relate to like the divorce side of it but I think the um the the you said that I tricked you because I didn't look like my profile picture I like I love that lyric like Mm -hmm. so much and you know especially like look like looking into it and like finding out the history a little more it's just like it works so well and like the like sort of for me it resonates because of like the insecurities about like body image and like online dating because I was mm-hmm. always someone that you know has always been like really secure insecure about the prospect of online dating because I'm like I hate that it's so like image focused mm-hmm. and it's like it's only based on like yeah. physical attraction and like it really bothers me in that way so I really like how the song sort of like taps into that and really like makes it an anthem like when she says like you know i'm gonna hang it up for like everyone to see like fuck you if you don't like it yeah like i i really <laughs> love the way that it sort of like makes that like the mood of the piece and you know and it's like her whole like yeah. attitude i think that's great yeah and it for me very much also like it it does a really good job of like walking the line between obviously like it talks about that because that's like the main thing that most people know about her if they know anything mm-hmm. but also like doesn't entirely like give it like it doesn't like give credence to henry's claim that she was misrepresented in a way that like a lot of things do which i think is like very important because like if you actually look at the kind of history of what happened like basically he like did this thing where he was like i'm gonna wander in and like pretend that I am not the king and then like she's gonna be super attracted to me immediately and then she wasn't because he was this like dude old enough to be her father and uh, so and then like I think there's like a pretty good argument that he basically like said like oh no she's ugly as his way of basically like saving face because he was embarrassed about the fact that she was like not into him when she didn't know who he was yeah so I like it doesn't get into all of that detail but I think like the song does a good job of like having her be have this kind of like eh, I mean just like fuck you though vibe yeah I think it's it's incredibly appropriate and I it's again the costume change is amazing in the middle of it and just the whole like I mean everybody's like this sounds like it's so great and she's like you know what it kind of is and it's (laughs) you know (laughs) (laughs) like yeah I guess I'm not going to win this competition, but that's fine. I'm just going to go back to my palace. It's cool. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and going on what you said about Henry, you know, being in disguise, like, I guess it's kind of like, because he kind of did that to so many wives. Like, that was a thing for him. Like, he wanted to <laughs> be loved for him and super blah, yeah. blah, blah. But it was like, no, my dude. <laughs> <laughs> and it was also like a, shit that he did at court <laughs> like it was shit he did at court that like he could pull off when he was like in his 20s and yeah. he was like legit sexy in like his like 20s exactly, early 30s yeah. and yeah. then he's like no I'm gonna do this now and she's like immediately gonna be turned on by me and it's like no to the extent that like you can still pull this off at court now it's because like everybody actually knows it's you even though you're wearing a fucking mask yeah cause like I think by that point he had gout and was probably like 200 pounds overweight like yeah like yeah you know we've all seen the, you por- the portraits of henry the eighth like you know yeah. he's 
Yeah. He's not most people's type necessarily. No, no. I mean, mean, he's also an awful person. Like, he's just a terror. Like, it's fine. Yeah. Yeah. You mean he didn't look like Jonathan Reese Myers? (laughs) No, he doesn't look like Jonathan Reese Myers. It's very disappointing. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, but I mean, I'm sure the vibe is basically like, who is this like gross old man hitting on me? Yeah. Like, (laughs) I also just on the uh, Tracy, what you were mentioning in terms of like online dating, I think it's really interesting in the staging with the House of Holbein song that that actually really like hammers that in more that there's this, uh, this kind of bit that they do where they have like people standing in front of standing and then you have they like kind of stage a like swipe left swipe right thing with the like various oh, people okay. who are candidates to marry Henry. Okay. Yeah, it was a very cool um that song is is really great if if you haven't listened it's it's basically about the horrors of beauty back then and like what they oh, did yeah. to, you know, for makeup and like high heels were and all that other stuff and it really like the first time I listened to it I was like this is fun and then there was a line that I finally picked up on Oh, I can't even remember which one it was. Oh, the nine inch waist or something like that. And I was like, yeah. wait a second. That's <laughs> dangerous. And then I finally like <laughs> sat down and listened to the lyrics and was like, oh, all of this is horrible. And it's in this like very um, Euro rave vibe. It was yeah. It's yeah. wonderful. Yeah. When I go to the, the Strand in the city, they keep their like art books are sort of like on one of the landings. And every mm-hmm. time I pass it now, like there is like a, a like Holbein like art book that's like just on the landing. And every time I pass it, I'm like laughing because I keep <laughs> thinking of the song. <laughs> I'm going to have to go find that now. <laughs> My dad is very fond of Holbein. And it was like very like into the house of Holbein, like a Euro pop song. <laughs> no. Oh, okay. <laughs> he was like, he was, was very like, on board. He was like, I really like the whole, yeah, he, he really liked the whole Biden song. He said that was his favorite. <laughs> that's awesome. I feel like that's another risk, like what Meg was saying. I feel like he could either like hear it and be like horribly offended or like just go with the joke. And I'm glad he like went with the joke. <laughs> I know, right? And I will say, actually, as I was leaving, so I mean, the comment that I made earlier about like how great it was that there are no men on stage. I made like mostly I went to my parents and I made like with my mom like to my mom as I was walking out and this guy who I did not know but who was like sitting next to me turned around and he was like I like that too good for <laughs> like, him I was like oh god this like, could go somewhere you. else <sighs> <laughs> no it was like very nice I mean you know I have a feeling it's kind of a self-selecting audience to some extent and I will say it was actually when I yeah, went it was like yeah. it was in fact a predominantly female audience it is yeah, yeah it was for sure that was like a, one of the last things I saw on Broadway before the closure was The Inheritance. And like both times I was definitely sitting like just surrounded by like gay male couples, like because it is like a, a yeah. play about gay men. And I was looking around, I was like, yep, this is pretty much the audience of this play. And I'm yep. like, and I'm just like a queer woman sitting being like, hey, like, <laughs> I'm single and I'm just like with this like gay men having a good time. So yeah. <laughs> Speaking of, oh my God, can I tell you? Okay. So. I uh, entered the lottery and ended up winning tickets. And I sat in, um, what are they called on the side? I cannot remember. The boxes? The boxes. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And I was on stage left. So Catherine of Aragon is like constantly in my (laughs) sight. And I cannot express how much I fell in love with the actress. Like the, my crush, just the entire, like, I mean, she was gorgeous, and the like. It, I can't explain it all. Like, I, I now follow her on Instagram. I'm not gonna lie; it's 
lost. <laughs> but I was like, oh my God, I'm so in love. And like, I have to look at the rest of the show. But also like, God damn. It was so wonderful. Yeah. And her costume is amazing. So she's like, so like Beyonce is yes. the inspiration for, yes. for her. And she very much like has like she just like her song is very like badass and like just this like real fucking stubborn which i really enjoyed and appreciated yeah she was played by a um filipino oh i cannot remember what she but i just it it was so great like it was not the the normal Catherine Aragorn uh, cast but i like like you said they they basically all learn each other's parts and it was you could tell yeah. it was one of her first times on Broadway stage, like how much energy and how excited she just felt. Yeah. And I, I just, it was wonderful. And it made yeah. that song even better. Yeah. And like, she also is just like very much, I thought, and I think this is like true, like listen in terms of like the, uh, the person who um, plays her in the studio recording. So in terms of like listening to, I got that, but like, she just like very much like gives off this vibe where it's like, you can tell that she is like the person who is like really descended of royalty here. Yeah. 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 I like her, her whole vibe is just basically like, I have done fucking everything like married two men sight unseen basically because, yeah. or mm-hmm. no, she didn't marry the brother. I don't remember. Um, <laughs> yeah. She did marry the brother. I never quite understood what happened with the brother. <laughs> The marriage was never annulled. He just died. And uh, she stated that the marriage was never consummated because he was like kind of sickly for the entirety of it. Okay. But like so, she like, married him at 15 Henry then married, and married her Henry and, the eighth like, at 23. Yeah. That's a lot of time between 15 and 23. I don't know. I believe her hands down. <laughs> oh, they like, they like kept her at court. So they kept her at court and basically like Henry's father, Henry the seventh was like kind of so-so on whether he thought marrying her then in turn to Henry, like in turn to his second son was like a good idea or not. And so they just basically like kept like okay. stalling and like kind of fucked with her for several years. Oh yeah. Which Wonderful. is not great. Yeah, no. So like, no, and she actually like so really shit. is somebody that like, she had a rough life, but, like in terms of yeah. like, that was like a rough start. And then like, she, you know, had like a number of miscarriages uh, and like was facing increasing like pressure over the fact that she had not produced a son. And then like, you know, I mean, everything was like super shitty in terms of that, like essentially as a way of like punishing her, Henry then like, pre- like prevented her from seeing her daughter. And yeah. the whole thing was like super gross and he's terrible yeah Yeah, i think that's one of the things that stands out to me about that song too is the daughters are so easy to forget and like you know that you say like oh i'm gonna like we're gonna be childless but it's like you know do you not remember like you know you were there when i gave birth to our (laughs) daughter and like that really stands out to me a lot and i think the the way that they sort of play her in a lot of ways like um sort of like almost like the comparison is leaping to mind is like sort of like a Hillary Clinton type or like the good wife where like, Mm -hmm. you know, she's had to stand by like while all these scandals are happening and while there's like all this talk about, you know, what Henry is doing and she's saying like, I have stood by through so much and you're like throwing it all away and, you know, trying to make me say like, oh, it's my fault or, you know, like that you're not doing what you're doing. And I think that that's, like, part of what makes the song really powerful. And like you said, there's such, like, dignity and poise to what she's saying. And I think that that's, like, what really stands out about her song for me. Yeah. Yeah. And also that, I mean, the fact that she, that, like, Beyonce is, like, the inspir- main inspiration for her song. Like, Beyonce also is somebody who, like, 
had her husband cheat on her and like has like remained with him and basically like has been like kind of I guess like you know pop culture is like not actually a thing that I know much about but like my understanding is that she's basically like kind of like musically snarky about it on occasion but like she hasn't left him right right as far as I know she hasn't yeah and she also had like a lot of fertility struggles I know I think that that was there was like a Mm. documentary about her on HBO and I think that that was like a big focus too yeah yeah, so it's actually, like, a really, like, that's the one in particular where I feel like there's, like, a really interesting parallel between those real mm-hmm. people. Yeah. Which otherwise isn't, because we fortunately are not, like, beheading people to the same extent. <laughs> well, we may need to reconsider that stance, but <laughs> that's another discussion. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, I love the, the Anne Boleyn, too. It's, like, I, some people feel that her song makes her a a little bit too much of a ditz but i that's another one where i i really love like the the modern parallels that they draw like the like when they say like your comment went viral and she's like yeah. you know about and things yeah. like that was i meant to ask you sarah is that based on like any remark in particular that she really made or is it just like a sort of just like a thing that they threw in there she definitely did. I think the specific, like the specific remark. So was that the one about Catherine? The one about Henry? I'm trying to. Um, so, I think the one about Catherine. Yeah. Yeah. So she definitely did like make some like not especially nice comments, I believe, about Catherine. And it is the case that like mm-hmm. there certainly it certainly does seem to have been the case that like there's a line like "Wow, way to make the country hate you." That that's actually yeah, like yeah. pretty legit. That and they basically really like. Did popularly people like took and like took Catherine's side pretty dramatically yeah. over Anne's yeah. and so like yeah. she was perceived very negatively. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I I like Anne Boleyn's song, but I, I do fall into the camp of like I think at least everything that I've read about Anne Boleyn. Yeah. She had a big part in it and, and was a crafty woman and I think yeah. that the song while it does modernize and I and I really do agree I like the modernization, it it does kind of take the blame off of her a little bit like yeah in a, in a way yeah. that, that I, I that was like Anne was responsible for a lot of what she did and for you know the detriment being that she lost her head but you know I don't know I, I do like the song and I really yeah. love her costume it's probably my favorite costume the costume is great there are people on um on like Etsy that make like uh shirt like shirts with just like individual lines instead of like the official show merch and i've like been debating for months like i just want a shirt that says everybody chill it's totes god's will i'm like <laughs> and i'm like and i'm I like know, not right? a religious person i'm like it would be such a weird thing to wear but like it's such a good line and i find it hilarious i I'm totally like, say it is on a t-shirt it, is, it has made it into yeah. rotation i've said it so many times yeah 100 <laughs> percent. but yeah no and i think it definitely is that like I mean, and that's the thing, too, is that I think actually one of the things that I actually like about her is that I think she is, like, extreme, like, the real Anne Boleyn was, like, extremely intelligent and conniving and, like, a plotter. Yeah. And I think the song, like, loses that somewhat, and I like the modernization aspect, but I kind of wish they hadn't, like, lost that, like, plotter aspect of her personality. Yeah. Yeah, like, she went to court in France and was educated and and everything and yeah but I I get it's also really kind of hard to keep that Avril Lavigne vibe and and also make her the intelligent god that sounds like an insult to Avril Lavigne which I am not trying to do (laughs) 
<laughs> sort of like right. reminds me in certain ways now that I think about it of um, the situation that's happening with Britney Spears right now where like everybody's mm. been saying like Britney Spears has like you know really been like speaking up about like redistributing wealth and everything and you know people are like oh my god that's so crazy like Britney Spears is the voice of the revolution but then people really pointed out that she's been under conservativeship of her parents for like a really long time and like mm-hmm. she doesn't control like her money she doesn't control like seeing her kids and it's like you know she's someone that like we think of as like this ditz but she's like actually really like smart and yeah. like you know knows what's going on and is unfortunately in like a really terrible situation so like i i yeah. think it's like it's sort of interesting now that you say that it's like it sounds like an insult to like avril lavigne but also like we know as people like these people really have like nuanced images that we might not necessarily like get that's from true what we think of yeah. their public image so. And Anne Boleyn was all mm-hmm. about her image and probably yeah. did put front yeah. a face that was not conniving and, and as educated as she actually probably was. So yeah. You're right, yeah. And there actually is an interesting uh, thing that they do do with that in the show where uh, this is not in the soundtrack, but at the end there's this bit where, so like Catherine Parr is trying to make this argument about the fact that this competition between women and comparing of women and categorization of women is inherently a problem. And, uh, and mm-hmm. like, makes a, like, very intelligent comment, like, to that effect, essentially, like, concisely explaining yes. some of the things Catherine's trying to say. And they all sort of look at her and she goes, what? I read. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that. That is a great part. I do love that part. Yeah. One of the things that I do really like about Hamilton is the fact that almost all of the show is on the studio recording. And that's very yeah. much not the case for this show. And on the one hand, like, that definitely like added a lot of fun moments for me when I was going to like when I did get to see it of like all of these things that I hadn't quite actually realized even were in the show but Mm -hmm. that it does mean that there is like definitely like parts of the narrative and the characterization that gets lost because it's like in these bits that are in the like between song banter yeah yeah that's how you get people to go see it (laughs) right yeah I think it's like it's it is something that, yeah, it's something that you risk with, like, a lot of Broadway shows that aren't, like, totally yeah. sung through, like, Hamilton. Like, that's the thing. Like, I, uh, Cabaret is one that always has that issue for me because, like, there's mm-hmm. so much in Cabaret, like, so much social context and, like, things that go on that I'm like, but you need to see the stage show for it to, like, really have an impact. <laughs> right. It's, like, it's horrible. <laughs> it's, like, the bad thing about being a musical theater fan. It's like, no, but there's so much more in the show, I promise. <laughs> so. Yeah. And it's definitely a struggle because on the one hand, like people should be going to see the shows. But on the other hand, for a lot of people due to, you know, money or geographical location or some combination of the two or other issues, like you can't necessarily see the show or you certainly can't see all the shows. And uh, it's yeah. a difficult decision, I think, in terms of like how you're doing studio recordings in terms of like how you strike that balance of what you include and yeah. what you don't. Yeah, I think we've talked about everybody but Catherine Parr's song, really. Yeah. yeah, so we should we should talk more about Catherine Parr. Appropriate. <laughs> so yeah. we saved the best for last. <laughs> we did. I, can't, like, I have to say, the, that song makes, like, I cannot listen to it without just breaking down into tears. Every, like, I know. From the moment, it's, it's my favorite song. Catherine Parr is now my favorite queen, which I know you're not supposed to pick favorites, but she is. <laughs> uh, but it's the moment she's where cool. she's just like, I quit, I'm out. And it's, her entire song is about how she's in love with someone else but like for her own security and because she doesn't have a choice like when the king picks you you have to say yes and 
and then then like what she wants to say is no and I don't need your love and and like I want to be able to survive on my own and it's just like like you said how Anne of Cleves is like very great divorce song Catherine Parr song for me just like I don't want to say reinforces like my for the most part decision to be single and independent but it like Mm -hmm. it helps yeah there's something about it even though she's in love with someone else and entirely wants to be with him uh, which I also get that but it's a powerful song that's just like I need to make my way in my in this world myself and why can't that be what defines me and right. I just every time I could just break into tears. It's so good. Yeah, yeah, I think like the thing that really the thing that stands out about her song to me is just that, you know, the emphasis towards the end is she says like there's so much more to my story than like the men that have sort of come to define me. And she's saying like, yeah. you know, one of her lines is like, Remember that I was a writer, like I stood up for female education, like there's so much about her that like we don't learn about and that you know we should be defining her by instead of like who she married and that's like something that really stands out about her song to me and then the the emotional moment for me is like the um the six where like they're saying you know when they have like those like imagined alternative lives and they're saying like they just like need each other and like you know they're saying like we're one of a kind and i'm like i'll be like singing along in the shower and be like crying i'm like (laughs) yeah you are i know (laughs) and that's i kind of almost wish it was two separate songs because it is there is a big break in between where she's talking about you know this is what i want to be defined by and then it's like this moment of like we need to stop defining ourselves by the men that we marry and uh-huh. because who knows how many women have been lost to history because yeah all that yeah was written was what you know what man they married or for they probably didn't marry or you know right lived with a friend um <laughs> but <laughs> and then it's you know this whole and it, it's kind of like the moment where you realize all of this is a setup to to lead to that that song or that part yeah. of the song of stop fighting basically like they're like yeah. this is literally yeah. them still fighting over a man and and then that is yeah. so pointless yeah have you seen um that meme of the the two women that are in bed and they're obviously having sex and it's like there's <laughs> yeah. no oh, yeah. with these two women in bed together <laughs> yes. yes oh my god it's just like oh my just god friends. Like, this is such a common problem I will say also as a historian that like so and I think it's like interesting that like adventures that like we're just like one word in a stupid rhyme that the pop or the problem is it's part sources but a big part of the problem isn't that you can't know anything about them and that you can't write anything about them it's that for generations historians are like white dudes who think the only thing that's interesting are powerful white dudes and so they're not telling these stories and like increasingly like there is a like especially for these women who are powerful and wealthy and educated we have a decent amount of sources that like we really can tell their stories and like in terms of like the work that i do like we even can tell the stories of women who are a lot less powerful and important in a pretty significant way like there are certain individuals that essentially like in part because of the accidents of history like we have a lot of documentation about and uh, that is definitely one of the things that i think really like comes up here is that like in the show throughout is that they have also suffered from essentially the fact that like historians have made choices about what they think matters and they have made the decision yeah. that like these women don't. Yeah, yeah there's a point where uh, I think it is Catherine Parr that's like, do you know who Henry the Seventh's wife is? And everybody's like, uh, 
you know, Henry the Sixth, Henry the, and then there is one point where I think it actually is Anne Boleyn who's like, oh yeah, I know that one. And, uh, <laughs> and I'm um, definitely also sitting in the audience being like, yes, it's Elizabeth of York. Um. <laughs> <laughs> but it is, you know, they're literally like, I don't know who the, you know, prior to the current queen, I honestly probably couldn't tell you who was king, much less who they were married to or anything yeah. like that. Because one, I don't, it's not, I don't care. Uh, <laughs> the reason that we know these six is because of the drama. And, yeah. And, and I don't know, it's again, like I had wanted nothing to do with the show because I thought it was a, a way of exploiting these women again. Mm-hmm. And I'm just so glad that it goes in completely the opposite di- direction of, you know, like yeah. reminding us of all the women that we've forgotten. Yeah. yeah, I'm glad that in a way there's the past few years, there's really been a, a trend towards, you know, different sorts of things. Like uh, one thing I'm thinking about right now is uh, Gentleman Jack on HBO is mm-hmm. a biography of uh, Anne Lister, who is this really powerful lesbian landowner mm-hmm. in the 1800s in England. And that's like a show that's really meant a lot to people and especially to queer women because, yeah. you know, they're getting like for a lot of people, the comparison is like, it's like a Jane Austen love story, but like for women who love women. And that's like not something that a lot of, you know, yeah. lesbians or bisexual women have like ever really gotten before. And yeah. it's like seeing the reactions to that is like so powerful and meaningful. And, you know, it is a woman that actually existed and she wrote so many diary entries and we have these like copious written records of her she wrote like millions of words over her lifetime and it's something that you can't deny and say was fake and there's you know so many like archives and there are so many people that you know want to deny that this history exists and the fact that you know we're really bringing it to light it has like this big budget like television production like that really matters and it's making a difference in you know what gets shown and you know what is like presented on screen or on stage And I think that that's, like, a really important thing that's happening right now. Yeah. Queer people exist. Yeah. 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 And uh, just, like, another comment on some of the kind of issues with, like, depictions of queens. One trend that I have noticed in more than one movie that I have covered for this is that there's individuals that I know what their names are because they're real people. Mm -hmm. And I know that they have names and what those names are. But they are never named in the film. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so, like, the extent to which, like, queens, like, as I said, even, like, the most powerful women in a lot of media produced in the 20th and 21st century are robbed of even having a name, much less meaningfully having their own story, is, like, Mm -hmm. very disturbing. And I really like this musical as a commentary on that. Yeah, I always think about, um, I think it was, like, your Braveheart episode where that happened a lot. Like, where you were saying like, there, there yeah. were, like, multiple, like, nameless women in that movie. And you were like, no, like, these were right. actually, like, really important, like, badass women. And, like, you just yeah. know who they are because, like, you know who they are. And that's, like, sad. So. Yeah. Because that was the one that, like, I was watching with Ollie. And uh, so I kept being like, oh, Isabella. And he's like, who the hell is Isabella? Because it never says her name. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like Isabella, the she wolf of France. She's gonna murder her husband. She's great, but yeah, but they just like never actually say her name. And it's like she's so much. Like honestly, like I think she's cooler than William Wallace. Like why don't we have her story? I agree. That sounds like an amazing story. I would go see that in a heartbeat. <laughs> yeah, I think we're we're starting to get there, especially with more like female directors and yeah. you know yeah. people putting like. I think, like, um, even, like, not even a female director, but, like, something like The Favorite, I feel like, is probably, like, a big step in that direction, too, just because it's, you know, about a monarchy, but it was so, like, 
female focus and especially like queer women focus that I think that yeah. that was also like a major step in that direction. Yeah. All for it. All here for it. 100%. So I think that's pretty much everything to particularly say about musical itself before kind of moving to some of the like historical. I just want to say one more thing. Like if you yeah. haven't seen their costumes, go look at their costumes and the fact that these people are doing things on those heels. I'm just yeah. like, yes. it's fucking amazing. I know. I have they, really they amazing. Awesome. Yeah, I have amazing cosplayer friends whose like talents I envy, <laughs> and they, you know, made like you know outfits when we were at Broadway Con, and they, you know, and these like outfits they, they are such a pain in the ass to make. Like I can't even imagine what they're going through. Oh, yeah. Like my my poor friends, but like the the costumes are like so beautifully detailed and so distinctive, and they're amazing. You know, like women and you know and people in the fandom that are just like breaking their fingers making these things, but. They're so beautiful every time. So beautiful. (laughs) They're so great. You can build me up. You can tear me down. You can try, but I'm unbreakable. You can do your best, but I'll stand the test. You'll find that I'm unshakable. When the fire's burnt, when the wind has blown, when the water's dried, you're still fine. For the next section, the Vera et Falso section, I wanted to spend a little time talking about some of the things that it got right and wrong. I will say, like, a lot of the anachronisms and oversimplifications are things that I think are definitely, like, deliberate to some extent, uh, but there's, like, a couple of things that I want to mention here and there. In terms of things that I think they did really well that kind of touched on historical realities, I really like that, especially in the banter between songs and even in the choreography, it really highlights that, I mean, so there's this like kind of rivalry aspect in general, but it really actually does play up in particular the like bad blood between that Anne Boleyn has with both uh, Catherine of Aragon and Jane Seymour. And I think that that actually is like done very well in a way that does kind of like subtly hint at the fact that like those are actually the like real bad relationships that existed Mm. in the past that like they knew each other and did not like each other. (laughs) And like, I, yeah, I think that's good. I also, like I was saying before that Catherine of Aragon's song very much like hits home the, like she is like real royalty and she actually is the only one of Henry VIII's wives who is actually born royalty, that she is born the daughter of the uh, Queen of Castile and the King of Aragon. So she is, in fact, like, born to, like, two people who are, like, sep- who are like individual reigning monarchs and whose marriage unifies Spain, more or less, or, like, creates Spain as a meaningful country. And, like, her mother is somebody who, like, I will say also is not my favorite individual because like she among other things is a person who's like very clearly like very much responsible for like creating the spanish inquisition and expelling the jews from spain okay so i have a big problem with the things that are very like rah-rah feminist about isabella of castile that kind of ignore that aspect but she certainly is nothing if not like a very forceful individual and i think like you kind of see that in catherine as well and I think the show like does a good job of portraying that. Oh, there are also a couple of comments that are made about like Henry as like potentially be like having impotence issues. <laughs> that I is... love that line. Yes, so much. 
first of all, I believe there actually like is like some indication that like Anne might have like gossiped about that being a problem, and that like there's a like a number of people think like especially given the fertility issues that like Henry probably like did have uh, essentially like I think syphilis related impotence. Oh, so surprise. Considering, yeah. yeah, that's not surprising. Yep. So, yeah, so the, like, comments on his difficulty performing have historical basis. <laughs> that's wonderful to learn. <laughs> it does mention the fact that uh, it mentions Anne's specific uh, palace at Richmond, which was a palace that she received in her divorce settlement. And also the fact that she goes to court, and uh, which I think is, like, cool that they do mention, because she was, she did often go to court, and was uh, actually officially had precedence over every woman in the kingdom, except for whoever Henry's current wife happened to be and his daughters. <laughs> she, I mean, without a doubt, had the best outcome of all of them. Oh, I mean, yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, so good. when I was when I was at BroadwayCon, we were um, my group of friends and I were stopped and like asked by like a kid like cub reporter that was having I think it was like for a podcast or something, and he was saying like what queen would you want to trade lives with? And I said Anna of Cleves, and one of my friends was like she didn't really have like the greatest life afterwards. And I was like I don't care. I was like just give me the palace. I was yeah, like, that's all I want. <laughs> it couldn't have been that bad. She didn't remarry. <laughs> Yeah, no, and, like, so there actually was this whole thing where, like, her brother, basically, after the execution of Catherine Howard, her brother basically, like, tried to talk Henry into remarrying Anne, and, oh, no. uh, like, yeah, <laughs> and, like, it's, so it's, like, mostly her brother, and, like, at least in, like, my version of events, I'm, like, there's no way that she was, like, actually on board with that. Yeah, no, she, I mean best divorce settlement in my opinion ever. oh yeah <laughs> like absolutely like i think she definitely won and she actually is also the one who lived longest of henry's wives because uh, she did outlive Catherine parr oh well she did yeah yeah Catherine parr by the way was in fact a writer and one of the cool things is that like she actually has like there's like a cool fact about her that like i think the song kind of like hints at but doesn't explicitly say which is that she's she actually wrote the first book published in english written by a woman and like published under her own name yeah yeah great. <laughs> she's just so awesome yeah no and she's she is very cool less awesome Urine, albeit often animal urine, not one's own urine, was indeed used as a hair lightener, and makeup <laughs> did definitely regularly contain lead. Yeah. Both of which are referenced. Yeah, arsenic was a big deal, too. Like, people have yeah. said that that, um, because we don't really know what killed Jane Austen, that's been said that, right. like, it may have been arsenic. I, I don't know if they, they've figured out if it was, like, cosmetic use or it was, like, medicinal purposes, but I know that, like like her body that we've been able to test like has tested positive for arsenic and it's like we don't know oh, if wow. that's what killed her <laughs> it's yeah. like really like yeah. horrifying when you think about it <laughs> yeah so then there's definitely a couple of things that like i just like wish that they had mentioned so they have the like bit that like daughters are so easy to forget where they kind of reference mary but the other daughter who then is like super forgotten is elizabeth <laughs> Anne's daughter who like is a very long reigning queen of England. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's not much about Elizabeth at all. And I don't think she's play. ever mentioned. No, I don't even know if Anne ever mentions that she has a kid. I don't think so. Cause I, th I actually like remember noticing this so that like Jane keeps being like my poor child. 
And then Anne's response is always like, my poor head. <laughs> Which is fair. I do feel like there is one point where it was like, I, I do want to say there is a throwaway line where she's like, I also went through childbirth. Like, it was something, but it was like, but yeah. I also lost my head. Like, it's kind of like a really quick throwaway of like, you're... Yeah woe is me is that it's childbirth but like I did that and also lost my head kind of thing but it's but you're right like for someone whose daughter becomes almost as infamous as if not even more so than her father like there's nothing yeah and also that like that is also like a sad aspect of Anne's story is that like in her like when she was executed she did like leave behind like a three-year-old child yeah who like you know, I mean, also had, like, a very complicated life in terms of that, like, her father kept, like, going back and forth on whether she was legitimate or not and treated her better than others in some moments, given, like, basically depending on what the kind of, like, political currents were. So there are definitely, like, I I think she's definitely, like, a figure that is kind of sad that she wasn't mentioned, but on the other hand, I get why they didn't want to, like, make the story about her. Yeah. It it didn't fit with Anne's song at all, but... Yeah, both Mary and Elizabeth are kind of forgotten after Mary's mentioned once or twice. Yeah, and especially, like, Anne very much in terms of how she is presented is not giving off, like, mom vibes. No, not at all. No. <laughs> uh, stereotypically, at least. And so, like, I think that's definitely part of it. Is that it's just, like, not the story that they want to tell about Anne. But it is, yeah, mm-hmm. especially, like, given how important the future Queen Elizabeth was, it was, like, a sort of weird thing that was missing. I also yeah. kind of wish that they'd mentioned that Anne Boleyn and Catherine Howard are cousins. <laughs> yeah, especially because, like, the way that Catherine Howard is introduced is kind of like, who is she again? Which Catherine is she? Because, you know, there's the right. Catherine that survived and the Catherine that was first dethroned. And it's, you know, any kind of mention. I, I don't know. It, it Seeing it in your notes, yeah, I agree. It's something that I knew, so I just never thought about it. But you're right. Yeah, it's weird. This is all yeah. one and big especially... incestuous family. <laughs> I know. It's, like, so incestuous. <laughs> especially also because, uh, essentially, by, like, oversimplification. Like, so my big person that I hate in this historical period. I mean, obviously Henry, but everybody hates Henry. I also really, really hate Thomas Howard, the third Duke of Norfolk, who is uncle to both Anne yes. and Catherine. And the fact that, like, he obviously knew what happened to Anne and then is like, hey, cool, I've got a great idea. I'm going to, like, trot out some other, like, nieces for Henry to, like, fuck and maybe marry. And then who knows what will happen to them, whatever. I don't give a shit. Yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> every portrayal of him is is of doing that even while Anne is still alive and, like, yeah. hasn't quite lost favor. He's still already looking which niece, daughter, whatever can I put in next. Yeah, when you so say that, it, it makes me remember, like I said earlier, I know the other Bolin girl from when I was like 13 or 14 so I'm thinking about it I'm like good. oh yeah he was that like garbage person yes. <laughs> like story right. like, mostly about garbage people but yes. <laughs> right yeah no he is very intensely a garbage person and I hate him <laughs> um and uh, and he's also somebody who like one of the like great injustices of history is that like he never got executed he was actually like about to and then Henry died and then they like and then like Edward sort of forgot about him and then Mary pardoned him because uh, they're like Catholic buddies at that point of course of course such a slime like he got to like fucking die in his bed which makes me really angry (laughs) in terms of also other incestuous facts Catherine Parr's love interest and husband after Henry's death is Jane Seymour's brother. (laughs) 
It was just like a just like she had a weird kid with him detail, too, right? That's how what? she died. I think she had a kid with him too. Yeah, I believe she did die in childbirth. Yeah. Uh, yeah, with her marriage to Thomas Seymour, who also like potentially might have like molested the young princess Elizabeth. So oh, like he actually is not such a fucking prize. Yeah, there like there's at least like rumors. It's not quite certain like what definitively happened, but like there is a I think arguable case to be made that he molested or tried to molest uh yeah elizabeth who would have been like in her teens i mean i it's just there's no way it's not true even if it's like right i was about to say not as bad as it sounds i mean god women were so treated so bad so awful and still are (laughs) oh i mean yes But yeah, so that's like, so like, A, it's like, you know, he like seems like so, I guess like, uh, he seems, he's like so much of a non-person, but also seems so nice. But then it's like, he actually is not so great though. Yeah. And also like creates this like weird connection between her and Jane Seymour, which like also does not come up. And then finally on Catherine, it also doesn't mention that she came within inches of being arrested and executed for heresy because she was much more Protestant leaning than Henry was. And they kept, like, arguing about religion. And she basically got out of it by basically (laughs) saying that, like, she was, like, basically playing devil's advocate to entertain him. And she didn't really believe the things (laughs) that she said, which she definitely did. (laughs) I love her so much. I was going to say, I love She's great. (laughs) But it's also, like, it's definitely an aspect of her story that, like, to some extent, there's, like, the cheery aspect that, like, she's the one who survived. But, like, she came relatively close to, like, not surviving potentially (laughs) she was also in court i mean she was a lady in waiting for catherine of aragon and and, yeah and anne boleyn i don't know if she was for anne boleyn but i mean she was around she's always portrayed as such an older woman i mean she was i think maybe barely in her 30s when they married and he was in his 50s so it's like yeah you know it's always a weird portrayal in movies and tv shows when it comes to catherine Parr because everybody else was so much younger but like she was around and saw all this it's it's a right i mean because one of the things that i think often gets kind of lost in some of the portrayals is that i mean henry had a long reign but his like episode of like toggling between wives is actually a relatively short part so anne boleyn died in 1536 henry died in 1547 his last four wives were all within a period of only 11 years So, like, he was married to Catherine for a very long time and to Anne Boleyn for three years. And, like, it then kept, like, like basically just, like, kept, like, a lot of the, like, most of the ones after that were, like, very brief. Do we know why? I mean, after he had the heir and son, like, why he, I mean, other than just he wanted to be married? But it was, was it a, I, I can't imagine it was a law or a requirement or something, like, if Elizabeth got away with it. I think he basically wanted, like, insurance on the whole son thing. Because That's Edward was actually, like, never super healthy. That's true. And he did, in fact, like, die relatively young. And, like, that was not yeah. shocking to people, I don't think, especially. And so I think, like, he wanted to, like, not be in the situation that he ultimately was in, where, like, there was a very good chance that his daughters would be, in fact, the ones who would inherit him. I mean, in fact, all of his children, or his, all of his legitimate children at some point reigned. And so I think he basically wanted, like, more sons who would have, like, come second to Edward, but, like, who would have been, like, an option to have. There are also just, like, a couple of other, like, things. So I will say, like, most of the inaccuracies, I think, are pretty deliberate. We've already kind of talked a little bit about the, like, somewhat of an issues with Anne's portrayal. 
I think Catherine Howard's portrayal, while I do think it's super powerful, I think casting her last relationship as being like questionably consensual, I think that's really the one where I think you could least make that argument. You have like love letter. I mean, you know, obviously like you don't know, she is 17, like by that standards, it like certainly was statutory rape. But like she, there's really like a lot of indications that like she very much thought of herself as being in love with him. And so like, it's, it's like a little weird that like it makes that decision. Um, Like, I'm not sure if I agree with the, with like that aspect of the overall portrayal. I don't know. Yeah. I think that event might probably come more from like, like I said, I I think they're pretty on record as saying that they only read like one book before they were Right, right. But like, so it could just be that they went with like one person's interpretation or it's just that they said like, oh, we really need to make this fit the theme. Like, what do we do? So, but yeah, it's one of those things where it's like, you don't want to like smear somebody who like might not deserve it, like as far as we know. So it's, it's like tricky. Yeah. Back then, let's be honest, there was not, I mean, not in court, (laughs) not in court. No. Yeah. No, that, I mean, that's true. I mean, like, ultimately, I am fine with, like, the yes, all men argument for, like, yeah. Tudor England, but. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we just need to make, like, we need to put, like, Henry VIII's face and just put, like, yes, all men on, like, Henry VIII's face. <laughs> well, I mean, like, Henry was, I mean, even outside of the wives, Henry was a terrible person, like, the yeah. things that he did. Yeah. But just to become a member of court, like, I mean, you could see it in the fact that, like, how these these wives were presented and everything like nobody is innocent or they're like quote unquote because they were born in even if you were quote unquote born into it like yeah you still had to find your way or then you know nobody's innocent so even like if it was consensual she was a fucking child first of all but yeah i don't know it's like i i agree like that that it, it was probably it is a little weird that it is portrayed as as being creepier in the song than it may have been, but also fuck it, I don't care. Everybody in court was terrible. I don't yeah, I think for me it's just like that. It like seems a little weird that like ultimately it kind of like presents as creepier that relationship than the relationship that she had with like that dude when he was in his thirties and she was thirteen, and he was her music yeah. instructor. That like that relationship she's like it like presents as like her being like more on board with that and that is like not being constructed as abuse but this other relationship being constructed as abuse and so like I don't know I just I I feel like they're kind of like making a decision to like have it be very linear in terms of her like journey in a way that I'm not sure makes sense I guess I don't know I get that yeah 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 like I think there's like a linearity to it where like in her own experience I have a feeling that like Thomas Culpepper was probably a basically like wow, this guy is much better than the person that I'm married to who is disgusting and terrible and I hate him. Yes. Yeah, Henry, not a good person. So much yelling. Yeah. Finally, I do just want to make one note about the fashion stuff, which is that the things that are brought up in the House of Holbein song fashion-wise are actually a tiny bit later. Corsets Mm. are actually a little bit later into the 16th century when they first start uh, becoming somewhat popularized and are really like the corsets that are the most kind of well-known for being like 
tied in such a way that they are really endangering women's health and like fucking with their bones. Uh, those are really like the 19th century. <laughs> right. So they do kind of like put that like backwards a little bit. And also high heels are not popular in Europe until the 17th century and were at the time for the first like century or so of being around mostly worn by men, which right. is a cool fashion fact that I think should be better known that high heels <laughs> are like not originally like a women's thing. <laughs> Yeah, now I want to go research why that switch happened. Yeah, it's like, I mean, so there's like all these portraits of like Louis XIV, like wearing high heels. Yeah. One of my Which favorite cool. quotes yeah. from Fraser is that there's there's a point where Roz says to Niall, she's like, you won't even consider like buying a piece of furniture. And she says like, unless some fey French aristocrat is like sat as fat satin fanny in it. <laughs> and Niles looks at her and he goes, Louis XIV was not fey. Everyone wore garters in the 18th century. <laughs> so... <laughs> Those are mostly kind of facts and quibbles that I wanted to mention. I usually have a segment, Historia ad Veritas, where I talk about a like particular figure or event or phenomenon. It seems like it's like not entirely in the spirit of all of this to like just like pick one of the wives and there's not really time to like talk about the real histories of all six of them in a lot of detail so in yeah. lieu of that i won't say favorite because we're not supposed to use the word favorite according to this musical but <laughs> i will just like ask everybody to say based on the musical or other knowledge or some combination of the two whether there was a particular individual that you most identified with or found intriguing or inspiring uh i i said it earlier and i'll i'll say it again uh i mean Catherine parr because of this i completely cannot wait to figure out more about her and and identify probably the most with her just because of this musical alone. Yeah, I think yeah. for me it was definitely Anna of Cleves, just because, like I said before, um, just the way that her song really deals with, you know, body image and sort of, like, saying a fuck you to, like, male <laughs> expectations of that. I think for me what struck me about it was just that I didn't really know about her before the song and just, like, yeah. the way that it took on those issues, like, really resonated with me right away and made me be, like, you know, identifying with that was, like, a really new experience for me in that way. And it was just, mm -hmm. like, immediately I just wanted to know, like, so much more about her for her being somebody that, like, I definitely wouldn't have known anything about her if you had asked me before I had listened to the song. Yeah, I definitely, like, kind of hinted at this also. But, yeah, for me it is also Anna of Cleves. And, uh, you know, especially, like, she's somebody that I've always had a fondness for is given the, like, historical novel thing. I also, like, remember <laughs> on multiple occasions going, like, very out of my way to, like, make sure to find her portrait, which actually now hangs in the Louvre in Paris for reasons that I'm actually not quite sure what led to that particular journey of the painting. <laughs> um, but yeah, but then especially, like, as I was saying before, like, watching this as a, somebody who's gone through a divorce and on the other side is much, much happier, having this as this kind of, like, anthem for, like, how great divorce is, is, like, very powerful for me in this moment. <laughs> you, you said that I tricked you. Cause I, I didn't 
So usually for the next section, I uh, invite the guests and myself to come up with if they have an alternative movie or story that they would like to tell uh, inspired by this one. I think for me, I there I think I noticed especially now that this is on Broadway, like there are so many like modern versions out there, especially for young adult literature. Yeah. I've noticed there's definitely like four or five right now, but um and yeah. I see them, but I, I think the one that I'm most interested in that um, is basically probably what I would want to see done anyway is, um, I think you talked to someone in the one of the groups about it, is um, Wife After Wife by, I think, Olivia Hayward, where um, I haven't read it yet, but I know that it sort of brings the story into a modern context and also sort of tries to examine, oh, like, right. Me Too through the lens of, like, mm-hmm. these different women's experiences and sort of, like, what the yeah. reckoning for someone like Henry would be like today. And I know that you guys were discussing um, how it sort of like can't fully do it because without just making Henry like a murderer today, which you can't really do. But like, so there's right. things that are like complicated about that. But I think in general, just the framework of looking again at like the things that these historical figures did and applying modern day movements like me too like I think that's like the sort of thing that I would do with the story like if I were to do it and people are doing it anyway and I don't have to do anything so (laughs) yeah how do you modernize this into a YA book without killing people yeah, the one that I was referring right. to is adult fiction, but I, I think some of the YA ones I've seen, it's just like a boy that has a lot of ex-girlfriends, and it's like, it doesn't really quite work no, in the that same way. Yeah, that doesn't but, quite... Yeah, it doesn't have, like, the same weight to it, but that's kind of what they do. But you know, that, <laughs> right. that would like, be it's a lot not quite the same when, I'm like, you here. murdered at, Now like, I'm like, two. how can I do this? <laughs> I'll definitely find some of the ones that I'm thinking of and send them on and maybe like post them in the group when this goes up because I know that yeah. there's like four or five and I keep noticing yeah. them like, whenever I've, they I've pop never, up now. It's it's not something that I've ever been on the lookout for and now I'm kind of like that is something now I'm curious about. I don't yeah. know. I yeah. How do you modernize this and without killing people? Yeah. Without it turning right. into like a bluebeard situation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which, like, yeah, I mean, because that's the thing is that, like, without kingship, I mean, without kingship, I don't know how you get around the fact that, like, this man should be in prison. Yeah. Unless you don't kill people, but then, like, I mean, but then, like, to what extent are you telling even, like, a version of the same story? I don't know. Yeah, I think it's, like, especially now, like, with the Me Too framework, like, I feel like now we can sort of tell that story, like, especially when you look at someone like, Mm -hmm. unfortunately, Harvey Weinstein that, like, took forever to have, like, action taken but yeah, it's like yeah. the like the murder thing in particular is like a thing that's like a hard hurdle for like a modernization to overcome. I guess you could do so, something like right. where okay, and this is off the cuff. Let me see if I can do this. Okay, <laughs> so first girlfriend is the one that got through two years of high school, 
maybe three years. Maybe we'll go up to senior year. <laughs> and it's one of those like weird breakups. And then you have Anne Boleyn, the Anne Boleyn stand in, and then you just completely destroy her reputation. So that way you're not yeah. killing her, but she doesn't get out of this. And then Jane Seymour is the character where he starts to date. He realizes like, this is the one and she moves away or something. Mm -hmm. Then Anna of Cleves is definitely a blind date that doesn't go well. (laughs) Catherine Howard is another situation where you just completely destroy her reputation. And then Catherine Parr is the one that you find out did it to destroy his reputation. There, I did it. Oh, I feel like the the Catherine Howard thing would would maybe like Catherine Howard in a modern like teenage context. I feel like that would maybe be a good way to explore. Like, there was a lot of debate a few years ago. I feel like I keep bringing up like cultural events into this, but there was um that debate a few years ago about that piece that that woman wrote about Aziz Ansari. I think and like. They uh, yes. clearly like viewed the situation differently, yeah. and it was like you know a lot of people were coming to his defense and being like, well, he's not a mind reader. Like, how could he know that like she thought that like it went bad or like it wasn't consensual? And I feel like especially with teenagers, like there's a lot of room to explore that because like these might be like their first sexual situations. So I feel like that would yeah. be a thing that you could introduce in a YA context, but it yeah. would also like. If you're putting it in a story where there's like six women, it also wouldn't have the time to like explore that in a way that should be explored. So I feel like that would probably be like the only wrinkle with something like that. I totally want to write this now because like (laughs) Anne Boleyn is the one that keeps flirting with him and is like the he breaks she breaks up the long relationship and then he ruins her reputation. That's how that ends. And then Jane Seymour, I'm going to stick with the whole, like, they fall in love. Like, that is the summer romance. And then she finds out that she's got to go do senior year somewhere else. And then Anna of Cleves mm-hmm. is the blind date to get him over it. Like, they're, like, he's being all mopey and stuff. And his friends are like, dude, let's just do this. And then Catherine Howard is the younger one where he's like, oh, I've kind of, like, uh, maybe fucked it up with my entire class. I'm going to try to date someone much younger. Yeah. And then yeah. destroy that poor girl's reputation. Oh, God. Catherine Howard would be a hard one to rate. And then Catherine Parr is like the one that they all hire behind his back to like come in and be like, <laughs> like John Tucker must die. It's like that. But instead of falling for him, she right. does actually destroy his reputation. Okay. I now want to write this book. Because yes. <laughs> that works. Because also I feel like the thing that's actually hardest in the modernization narratives is explaining why Catherine Parr would marry or date him. Yes, which was why she's got to be someone who, quote unquote, yeah. comes out from out of town. Yeah. Yeah. But it also works better when, like, you're doing it in a context where you're doing, like, dating as opposed to marriage, because that's, like, yes. really taking the con a little bit far. Yes. If you actually marry him. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. I think it would work well as, like, a, yeah. I read an adaptation of, oh, God, what book was that? Fuck. Now I'm going to, I'm sorry, I got to look it up. But it was, um, I, I really, really like adaptations and, and modernizations of things. Like, I'm sorry, Tracy, but I prefer modernizations and adaptations of Jane Austen over the actual source material. For oh, no, part. believe me. I think that kind of thing is, like, fascinating. So don't <laughs> worry. <laughs> I think it's really interesting to see, like, how they do those modernizations and what works. Yeah. 
the only like Jane Austen that I really love is Northanger Abbey, and like that one is like the hardest one to modernize for some strange reason. Yeah, right. people have tried really hard to do. There's been like two or three that have been like she loves Twilight, and it's like okay, like yeah, we've no. all tried that. It hasn't worked very yeah. well. Like we need to find yeah, something different. No. Like that is my <laughs> so. white whale. That is what I'm going to do someday. I'm going to adapt that book, and it's going to be awesome. Yeah. And so I got sent an adaptation recently that I was really excited for. Here it is. I want to say it's Macbeth, like Lady Macbeth. Yeah, it's like a Macbeth thing that was really hard. So like adapting for teens is just, you yeah. gotta walk that line. Yeah. And you can't kill, I don't know. You can't <laughs> kill people. I feel like you can only kill in like certain contexts. Yeah. Like if you have like car accidents or like right. something. But like. That's the thing is like if he has girlfriends who mysteriously, like once you have two of those, yeah, that starts to be a problem. Yeah. And you certainly don't yeah. have, like, some normal person who dates or marries a person who had, like, two girlfriends that you are, like, suspected of having murdered. Yeah. Like, mysterious accidental like. deaths. <laughs> I'm sorry, if you've dated more than one yeah. of those and they died while you were dating them, that's a no. Yeah, no, like, that's... My, my friend and I have watched a lot of, like, they're like the sort of like older style like teen dramas like early 2000s like one tree hill like the oc the things like those like one of the things we talk about a lot is like the problem you run into is like you sort of like run out of like high stakes scenarios that you can do with teenagers so then you start putting teenagers in like really adult situations and it's just like and then like you sort of right. deal with it as a teenage viewer but then when you're like our age and you're like you know in your late 20s you're watching this and you're like no like teenagers should not be dealing with this like it's painful and so I mean, like that's the one thing right. i feel like you run into Riverdale. with modernizations it's like no you're putting them in dramas with like serial killers it's like don't do this <laughs> just watch riverdale that's all right that's all oh god yeah <laughs> I had a period of my life where I watched Gossip Girl, and that's also very much like, <laughs> oh my god, like they're chi- like these are children. I love <laughs> like, they're not playing, like, like trading each other like sexually. It's like don't do this, <laughs> right? Oh, he traded his girlfriend for his hotel. Oh yeah. god, I love that like, show. It's such trash. No, <laughs> such trash. It is, but kind of like delightful trash. Oh, I love it. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I definitely just like I I totally wanna like go back and do my like Anne of Cleves historical novel. Please do. Especially also because like I mean we like hear the stories all the time about like Anne's relationships uh, with like Catherine of Aragon and Jane Seymour, but like we don't hear as much about the fact that like Anne of Cleves knew and like had relationships with Catherine Howard and Catherine Parr, as well as both Mary and Elizabeth. And I think there's, like, really interesting stories there, also inspired by um, the, like, real-life, uh, um, you know, stuff of, uh, like, real, you know, experiences of Genesis Linnea, the actress uh, playing her. I, like, kind of want to do a queer storyline for this, like, woman who is like, yeah, no, I'm never going to remarry and just, like, chill in my castle, though. I think that would be fun. <laughs> I'm definitely not opening my notebook to start sketching out notes for this. Definitely <laughs> not. That's not what you see me doing at all. <laughs> I, I I expect the podcast to like get uh, to like get a shout out and your acknowledgments when you write and publish. Uh, I was going to say oh, it's yes. like this is this is like the inspiration. <laughs> oh yes. Okay. Tell me what you need, what you want. You don't need to plead, cause I feel the chemistry. Like I get you and you get me, and maybe this is it. He just cares so much, it feels legit. We have a connection.
kind of wind up by having us all rate this on a scale from one to five based on whatever criteria we see fit i'm gonna go ahead and just say a five i adore this yeah i'm gonna agree um it is definitely something that i think you should listen to if especially again you grew up in like the 90s 2000 pop era um it is the same kind of vibe and it is so good and then actually seeing it on stage i mean like like tracy i I live in new york city and i just don't go to a ton of shows because i don't particularly love crowds and uh i gotta be honest like i can find 50 bucks to use for something else yeah so i only usually go when someone is in town to go with me and this is one that i went and saw on my own even when like uh, I, you know, asked if some people wanted to go with me and, and I was like, fuck it. I really wanted to see this and I'm so glad that I did. Yeah. 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 I, I'm really there too. I think like even not having seen it just yet, I think it's, it's really like, it's just like it, I think like seeing the broad reach that it has, especially like with the teenagers and 20 somethings that like, um, there are certain musicals like that make people interested in things that like you don't see people of that age group always typically being interested in like one of my big musicals that I was a really big fan of when it was around was Natasha Pierre and the Great Common of 1812 which is this sort of like electro like pop musical of this like really small like 70 page portion of War and Peace and like you would see this like 20 something 30 something fandom of like this tiny musical based on War and Peace and that was just like it showed you and it showed me you know there was something in War and Peace that I always thought of of this, like, hyper-masculine book about war, that, like, there was something that was relatable and interesting to me in War and Peace. And I think that this really, you know, does that with the story of Henry VIII, and it takes them, you know, beyond that rhyme that we all know, and it really shows, like, the human things in their story that we can relate to and that we can even still relate to today when you wouldn't really necessarily think that's the case. And I think that's, like, the really special thing about it. And, you know, it's yeah. it's not as elaborate as Hamilton. You know, it's like I said earlier, I don't think it's even really trying to be that. It just wants to be fun and I think to get people interested. And I think that's, you know, really it's like it's gift and it's magic. And I think that, you know, people should definitely give it a try. And I think they would, you know, really enjoy it, even if they're like iffy on it at first. Yeah. And, uh, you know. Not that, like, I want to plug, like, plug Amazon, but I know, like, Amazon definitely, like, you can listen to it for free, I'm pretty sure, if you have a Prime account. I'm not sure if it's, like, on Spotify, too, but there are definitely, I think, like, play, like ways to, like, listen to it for free before, like, committing, but also, like, this soundtrack yeah, is not very it's, expensive. Um, it's definitely on Spotify, because I think that was where I listened to it before I, I bought it, like, the MP3, and it's, um, and I'm sure that it's probably, you know, doing really well on Spotify. That's a place where a lot of teenagers in particular are listening to, like, show tunes and Broadway albums. They make, like, probably pretty big business in that on the Broadway industry. Yeah. So. Yeah, so I definitely highly recommend that people check out the soundtrack of this, uh, even though you will not be able to see it on Broadway, uh, imminently, at least. Thank you. 
places where the listeners could find you on the internet. Megan, do you want to go first? I, I know there are many of them. <laughs> uh, sure. I co-host two podcasts primarily, uh, Judging Book Covers and uh, Mindset Yerk, but the easiest way to kind of find out any information about me is to go to my blog, which is Meg Griffin uh, with three Gs. So it's meggriffin.com and every podcast that I've guested on, plus all the podcasts that I have co-host are all there, uh, as well as uh, samples of my writing, my crocheting, and uh, book reviews when I can mentally get to that point after all of this uh, quarantine. So <laughs> same. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Tracy, what about you? I'm, uh, I'm mostly like an itinerant, like podcast guest. I don't have like a podcast <laughs> of my own, but I've been on, I've been on like so many people like look at me and they're like, don't you like have one of your own? I'm like, no, I just guest on other people's. <laughs> and, um, but um, I'm, <laughs> I'm a uh, tray all day on Instagram, which is a T R ai um dot all dot uh, day and um have loved on twitter one word and um those are mostly mainly uh mainly my social medias where people can find me if they're interested <laughs> all right if you've enjoyed this podcast please subscribe in your preferred podcatcher app and rate and review media evil on apple podcasts and i will read new five-star reviews in future episodes please also follow the podcast on twitter at media evil pod and join our facebook group and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Sarah If Decker. If you have any questions or suggestions, I'd love to hear from you via email at media.evilpod at gmail.com. Thank you so much, Megan and Tracy, for joining me to talk about this awesome musical. No, thank you for having us on. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm, I'm really glad to, you know, talk about it and sort of maybe like get more people interested in it because I really think it, you know, deserves that following and people, you know, might not necessarily have heard about it yet, especially with the shutdown going on. So I'm glad to like yeah. spread the gospel. <laughs> Definitely. All right. So yeah, thank you all again. And thanks for listening to Media Evil. Bye. We're one of a kind, no category Too many years lost in history We're free to take our crowning glory For five more minutes We're six